We are going to spend a good portion of time this morning in uh, Matthew 20 and in John 13. But I have some preliminary things that I want to share with you. And if you go back all the way to July, middle of July, uh, our first uh, teaching on the subject of purpose was in the middle of July. And then there's some, some teachers in between, folks that spoke and so on. And, but if you just follow and pick those up, it'll bring you up to where we are today. And I've been amazed at what God has done in the life of this house during this series. Completely did not anticipate the personal responses that I've received, the people that have shared testimony with me about what God is saying to them and what he is doing and developing them during the life of, of this, or in their life during this series. And, and uh, so as we, we're getting close to uh, perhaps the end of uh, this subject, but I'm excited about the fruit that is already showing in your lives because of uh, the Holy Spirit talking to us about purpose. Now, let me give you some, some things to think about. If you're taking notes, this might be a section that, in which you'd want to take some notes this morning. There are some things in Scripture that direct you toward purpose. One of the big things in the life of any believer is what does God want me to do? Right? What does God have for me? How many of you are in this room this morning and you've, either, you've had a season in your life where you've thought, Lord, what is it that you're asking of me? Anybody? Probably almost everybody has experienced that. And, and then uh, there may be some of you because of the transition of seasons of life that you are in. Uh, maybe you're moving to a time when all your kids are out of school. Praise God. I'm not, I'm not there yet. Uh, you're moving to a time where you're an empty nester or you're moving to a time where, uh, where you've laid a spouse to rest and now you have a new season in your life or, or you're moving into a time where you've recently married and, and, or, or there's a lot of folks around here getting ready to have children and, and, and moving into a time of, uh, of the increasing of the size of their home. All of those seasons of life have differing purposes attached to them. Those purposes have a season in them. I'm in the season of grandchildren right now while I'm still raising some children. We're in the season, what a joyful season that is. Grandchildren. Makes every gray hair worth it. I'm not going to wash that gray out of my hair because I earned every one of them. If they don't fall out, I'll just praise the Lord when they turn gray, right? But every se- all of those seasons of life have some specific purposes attached to them. And my challenge to you is to, to find uh, that purpose and embrace that season. How many understand, if you've ever raised children, you know how quickly the season passes. And it's gone, and you're like, where did those days go? And then as you age, you look at life, and you think, gee, I shouldn't be this old. Where did those days go? You look in the mirror, and you're like, whoa, where did those days go? There is a prevailing purpose in the life of every believer that 
follows you through every season of life. But every season of life has its purpose. And you should embrace and appreciate and value that season for the purposes that God has set within it. It brings fullness and richness to your life. Many of us have lived through seasons of life where we wish that season would end. And I have discovered when I look back on those seasons of life, if my attitude had been different, I would have gained more value out of that season of life. If I would have had right perspective on that season of life and embraced that purpose from God for that season, the outcome would have been very different. There are some things in Scripture that help direct you toward purpose, and I want to give those to you preliminarily as we move into the Scriptures that we're going to talk about today. First of all is in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. That Scripture says to present your body a living sacrifice that's holy and acceptable unto the Lord, which is your reasonable service. And it says that you may able to test and prove what the perfect will of God is. That scripture is telling you one component, certainly, that must take place in your life in order for you, in Christ, to identify purpose. And that is that you present yourself to him a living sacrifice. That you approach God with a sense of sacrificial investment of who you are into the kingdom of God. That you are sacrificially invested in the kingdom of God. As an individual. That's not talking about, listen, investing what you have is very different than investing who you are. Both components are important if you study them out in Scripture. But if you're not investing who you are in the kingdom of God, you cannot discover the design and the purpose of God for you. It's only through being fully invested in, in, in the kingdom. So he says, present your body a living sacrifice. And then he says, uh, do not be conformed to this world. You will never discover your purpose. Parents, if your youth are out there, have this discussion with them later because they're not hearing this now. You will never discover your purpose, the purpose for which God designed you. He is your maker. He is your creator. He wrote within your DNA specific purposes. You will not discover them by being conformed to the pattern of this world. You will only discover them by having your mind renewed. The scripture says, be transformed. Transformed changes who you are. Transformation changes who... When Jesus came into my life, the outpouring of his blood, the outpouring of... the investment of himself into me changed my spiritual DNA. It changed who I am by design. Because we're all born in sin and shaped in iniquity. And the sin and the iniquity that we were born in shaped who we were. Then God came in and he invested himself in us and it changed who we were and it reshaped and planted God's destiny and his potential within us. 
you would never discover your full potential outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's absolutely impossible to do so. It is absolutely impossible to fully recognize your potential outside of a relationship with God, your creator. Buy a car, refuse to read the user's manual, refuse to follow the instructions, the timelines of regular maintenance and good treatment of that vehicle, and I assure you, you will be buying another one sooner than you need to or would have needed to because you did not follow the manufacturer's instructions related to the design of that vehicle. That may be a very carnal explanation, but you and I have a manufacturer who wrote a guidebook for the use and the plan of the time that we are here on earth. And if you do not follow manufacturer specifications, the results are disastrous at best. You follow that train of thought? Our creator wrote into our DNA specific manufacturer designs so that if we followed in the purpose for which he has designed us and we followed his instructions related to the life that he has given us, we could maximize our potential. God's calling us to maximize our potential. So he said, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Come to the place that you think about you the way God thinks about you. Come to the place that you see you the way God sees you. Man, I'll lay down a whole lot of hang-ups when I start seeing me the way Jesus sees me. I started liking myself when I realized that God liked me. I started taking care of myself better when I realized how important I was to God. Are you here? Another thing that the scripture says about God's purpose and his will is 1 Thessalonians 5.18, and it says, Be thankful in all situations. This is God's will concerning you. I would just challenge you that there are many, many, many days that you live through in grumpies that you would not live through in that frame of mind if this truth were applied to your life. Now, he's not telling us to be thankful for everything that happens. If you come to me and you tell me, I crashed my car and my house burned down and my wife left me and I'm so thankful. Well, you might be thankful for one of those things or the other, but I don't know which it would be. (laughs) It's not the car, Jeff said. Look out, Cindy. But when crisis hits your life, you're not thankful for the crisis. But the God who was God in the good times is the same God who is God in the difficult times. And the need and the desire and the responsibility to be thankful through that period of time is ever increasingly important in the life of the believer. Amen. 
So I've had a great many difficulties that have arisen in my life, and I wasn't particularly thankful for the difficulty. But as we walk through, the, through those difficulties in a spirit of thankfulness, in a spirit of gratefulness to the God that we serve, and we always kept in mind and bear in mind that there's someone else in this earth that is in a far worse situation than we are in, no matter how bad it may seem at the time. And we continue to be grateful and thankful to the God that we serve. There is a strengthening that comes to your life. And I assure you that anyone who continually lives in a frame of mind of ungratefulness and unthankfulness and frustration and, and grumpies never hit it on their purpose or reach their potential. You can't reach your potential in the midst of murmuring. In fact, the reason that an entire generation died in the desert, not entering the promised land, was not because even of sin or or disobedience. It was because of murmuring. It was because of complaining. It was because of gossiping to one another about the frustrations that they were walking through instead of taking them to the God who was the God of their frustrations. So it is a hindrance to understanding the purpose of the season that you are in or the prevailing purpose of the life that you are living. You will hinder that discovery in murmuring. You'll absolutely stop it up. You just as well pour concrete over the mouth of the well because you'll remove that easier than the murmuring and the bitterness and the frustration that comes in some of the patterns of our life. So grumpy blinds you from seeing what is right in front of you. My first season of pastoring, I would go before the Lord, and the laundry list was long of the things that I thought I needed. And I would lay before him, oh, God, I need this, and oh, God, we need that, and for this church to do what you've called us to do, we need this, that, and the other thing until the Holy Spirit told me to shut up. If you ever have God speak to you like that, don't feel bad. He talks to me like that all the time. He said, shut up. I don't want to hear. I I don't want to hear one more thing about what you need. When, when, When I think you need it, I'll get it to you. And I'm like, dear Jesus, that's not fair. You ever had one of your kids tell you that? (laughs) That's not fair. Well, then the Lord says to me what I say to my kids when they say that. I didn't come here to be fair. I came here to do what's right. When I think you need it, I'll get it to you. Until then, you don't need it. I've given you all things that pertain to life and godliness. Begin to rejoice. I, I, oh, it changed my perspective when I stopped looking at what I needed as a leader and started looking at what I had. When you, in leading your home and leading your family, cease to look at what doesn't exist in front of you and begin to uh, appreciate and embrace and celebrate what you have will absolutely change your perspective. And then you would be able to see purpose more clearly. Then this is a verse that I don't, I don't know that I've heard too many Christians celebrate this particular passage. 
But nevertheless, Ecclesiastes 9 and 10 says, Whatever your hands find to do, do it with all of your might. How many people understand that there's some things your hands find to do in life that you'd rather not do? You understand that there are some things that are necessary to the process of life that we have to do that are not particularly enjoyable. But yet the Spirit of God was bold enough to say to us, whatever your hand finds to do, put, throw your whole self into it. Do it with all of your might. Give everything you are to it. Pour all of your potential and all of your strength and all of your ability into that experience. My wife and I were on a trip one time back east, and we were touring uh, a museum. And it was an old house where, in the day of the Shakers, they were called, lived together. Shakers no longer exist because they believe when they came and they walked with God that they were to separate uh, uh, husbands and wives. They were just to give their, their life fully unto the Lord, and uh, they uh, consequently cease to exist because they refuse to procreate. <laughs> Makes sense, right? That doesn't make sense to me. I don't know why they would do that, but nevertheless, that was their thinking, was I've come to Jesus, I'm giving him everything that I am, and so husbands and wives would agree to uh, live apart uh, sexually, so that so that there was no procreation of the shakers. So there, consequently, that season and that move of God that was among them died out, and it was a move of God. They were they were spirit-filled Pentecostal uh, believers, and but. The history shows they used to make furniture and they used to make brooms and that, that was how they sustained themselves was the, the work that they did that, that they did with their hands and this is what they believed they were right in this do everything as though you were doing it for God he's watching you so when they were some of their brooms are still in existence today and some of the museums and stuff they didn't wear out because they they made them so well some of their furniture is still in existence today because they did it so well because can you imagine if you were if you were building a chair and you were thinking as you were building it I'm building this as though God were going to use it and sit in it I'm building this broom as though it were going to be a broom that was used in eternity Everything that I'm doing, I'm doing as though it were for God's use. Well, the scripture instructs that. Ecclesiastes says, what, whatever you do. Can you imagine if believers today in our culture and in our generation, in this generation, the, the generation of that's good enough, that'll do, decided that we were going to do everything as though God himself were going to make use of it? Well, that's what Ecclesiastes said. So most of the time, purpose is not a difficult discovery. This scripture lends itself to this idea, at least in my mind. Most of the time, purpose is not a difficult discovery. More often than not, we're not willing to accept what we are discovering.
There are a great many people on the earth that the Holy Spirit would come to them and say, for this season of time, this is what I want you to do. Who would go, oh, not me. That's not my, not, not me. I've worked on some jobs like that where I said, God, get me out of here. And he said, when you're finished with the reason I put you there, I'll get you out of there. And I had to come and submit to that season when that wasn't where I wanted to be at all. And, and if, if that kind of season passes over a long period of time, over a year or two, it's either get on board with what God is doing or murmur every morning. Which is it? So I've really discovered that there, there are a lot of individuals who say that they cannot hear the voice of God. It's not that they cannot hear the voice of God or, are they, or they are not hearing the voice of God, but they are not liking what they hear. And when he calls us to serve, and he asks us to serve in a season of time, in an area of service that is not particularly an exciting or uplifting area of service, maybe it's behind the scenes, maybe no one knows, maybe no one can see what we are doing, maybe no one will ever know. And it's difficult at times, and I agree with you and understand that process of thought that we must go through to get ourselves in line with what the Spirit of God is saying. But there are times whenever what He is saying is just simply not what we want to hear. And in discovering God's purpose and His design for you in the moments that you are living in right now, you must become willing to hear what He's saying. I've, I've lost count of the times that I've had discussions with individuals who wanted to talk to me about a difficulty that they were going through. And when I said, well, have you thought about this? And I knew the minute that, it came, that the words came out of my mouth that the Holy Spirit was speaking into the life of that individual. And they said, yeah, for a minute. But they were rejecting the voice of the Spirit of God, and then coming to me and saying, I can't hear God speak to me about this issue. We do it in decisions that we make every day of our life. God forbid that we do it in the decisions that we make about relationships or significant investments or career choices, vocational choices, the things that lock us into a long period of, uh, of discomfort because we pushed away the flag that the Holy Spirit was waving in front of us. Don't go down that road. Don't go down that road. Well, just come on, uh, just, just for a minute. Oh, honey, I'm preaching to myself today. Let me give you some, something to think about. The Bible said that Jesus learned obedience. Jesus learned obedience. Jesus learned obedience. He was not gifted with obedience. He never sinned. He was without sin. 
but learned obedience through the things that he experienced, particularly the difficult things that he experienced. Now, when, when, we, when we see that, because the old King James says that he learned obedience through suffering, and when we see that word suffering, we think about, okay, he learned obedience through the cross. No. By the time he got to the cross, he was fully submitted and in obedience. So he learned obedience through the challenges of his life. He learned obedience. He, didn't come, he came into the earth just like you and I. He arrived just like you did. Except you arrived on a pillow and he had arrived on a pile of hay. He came into the earth just like you did, and he learned obedience through difficulty. Do you think you're going to learn obedience any other way? Differently than the way Jesus learned it? That's a deep, deep question. Because I, I, I grew up in a house with there's six, six, five siblings. I have five siblings. There's six children in our house. I still look at some of my brothers and I think, did we grow up in the same place? Did we grow up under the same parents with the same teaching and the same instruction and receive the same wisdom and the same counsel and the same direction? Because y'all don't act like you grew up in the house I grew up in. Because some of us just have to go to the school of hard knocks to learn things. But in order to find the purpose, whether it be for the season of life that you are in right now, or whether it be uh, for that prevailing purpose that uh, intertwines through your life, throughout your life, coming to the place that you can hear the voice of God and obey the voice of God related to his instructions particularly is paramount to the process. And I would bet that if you go to your prayer closet and you get out your journal and you begin to pray and review what is written, you will find that you've actually written things under seasons of anointing that over the course of time you've become resistant to. in the process of life. That there are some things that the Holy Spirit will take you back to that you'd written before, that he'd spoke to you before, that he wanted to activate in you. And over the course of time, we build up a little bit of resistance to the process. Let me talk to you a little bit about Jesus. Matthew chapter 20 Verse 20, there's a great story. How many understand that God has a great sense of humor? If you do not find humor in Scripture, read it again. If you don't find humor in Scripture, read it again. This is a particularly funny story to me because whenever I came to the Lord, I came from a place of, in, of insecurity. I grew up with a personality of insecurity. My father was 
as a young man, insecure. He wasn't by the time I got there, but as a young man, he was insecure. And uh, he, he said he'd never be a public speaker, and he said he took an F in eighth grade because the class was dependent upon a public speaking uh, uh, assignment, and he refused to do it. And uh, I was that kind of, don't give me public speaking assignment. Don't ask me to say anything to anybody. Well, here we are today. Thank you, Holy Spirit. But this is one of those amusing things that I find in Scripture. Uh, these two young men, mama's boys, who were walking with Jesus. Matthew 20, verse 20. The mother of Zebedee's sons came to uh, him with her sons. She brought her boys, took them to Jesus, and kneeling down and asked something of him. He said, what do you wish? And she said, grant me that these two sons of mine may sit one on your right hand and the other on your left when you come into your kingdom. Now, if my mother would have done that to me, I would have been horrified. <laughs> Can you imagine? Moms, don't do this to your sons. Don't do it to your daughters either. But she was pleading their cause. And Jesus says to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I'm about to be baptized with? Are you able to walk where I have to walk? You want to sit with me? Can you walk in my shoes? That was a good question. And they said, we're able, fools. <laughs> they didn't know what he was going to walk through. So it was kind of, presumptuous to say such a thing. So he says to him, you will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with, but to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give you, but it is for those for whom it is prepared by my Father. Now, it, I don't want to get into all the doctrinal stuff here, but if you go into Ephesians and you read about this, the Bible says we are seated together with him in heavenly places. We are invited to sit there, the church. So they were going to get that invitation, but he was saying in order for you to get that invitation, you've got some things to walk through. Well, I just submit to you that in order to get that invitation, you've got some things to walk through. So he said, those that are to sit on my right hand and on my left, is not for the, it's not for me to give, but it's for those for who it's prepared for by my Father. And when the ten heard it, the other disciples, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. How dare you? Can you imagine all this going on? Talk about arguments in the church. How dare you go and ask him if you could sit on his right side or on his left? And somebody was saying, that's not your place. He's, he's much closer to John than you. Peter was saying, I, I would fight for him. I would die for him. I, I carry my sword all the time. How dare you ask to sit where I should be sitting? And so on. That's what was going on in their minds. It was a political brouhaha. But listen to what Jesus said. Jesus calls him to himself and he says, 
you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord over them those who are, who are great and exercise authority over them. What he's saying there, if you break that down, is those among the Gentiles who have authority tend to lord their authority over, over those over whom they have authority. He said, among the Gentiles, people of authority, they lord their authority over everyone. Good example, right? Yet, among you, brothers and sisters, it is not to be so. You are not to have authority for the sake of having authority so that you can lord it over somebody else. What does all this have to do with purpose? I'll get you there in just a minute. Follow me. It shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you, let him serve you. Let him be your servant. I want to submit to you that there are many great people running through the earth today that are seeking after purpose or or even thinking that they have lit upon their purpose and have discovered their purpose. And in reality, they have yet to discover their purpose because they have not discovered serving one another. There is a statistic among churches. When when we go to church uh, leadership uh, uh, events and, and, and church growth events and things that we are required to go to for training and all of this as pastors, when we sit in those meetings, we discover that there is what they call an 80-20 rule. And the 80-20 rule is this. You probably have the same rule at work. 20% of the people do the majority of the tasks that need to be, be done in any organization while the other 80% are along for the ride. I submit to you that the kingdom of God is not supposed to be that way. And I want us to at least achieve as a church that 80% of us are moving in God and touching the, the service areas that we're supposed to be serving and serving one another and doing among, uh, among one another and in the midst of one another the things that God has given the ability for us to do. That we are not called to be spectators in the kingdom of God. And Jesus said to them, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, if you want to be top dog, serve. It was so funny. I walked in the, in the restroom this morning and just before the service began and there was a pu- big puddle on the floor. And I began to pull out paper towels and clean up that puddle on the floor and I thought, now this is the prerequisite for pastoral ministries. You've got to be able to clean a bathroom. <laughs> if you can't clean a bathroom, you cannot pastor. You absolutely cannot. I can't count the times that I've come in and one of the toilets has malfunctioned and it's time to clean the toilet because somebody else is coming in and there's going to be an odor if you don't get that thing cleaned up. (laughs) You know what? It's just service. It's just service. Just wonderful. Just service. I don't want anybody to walk in and smell the odor of the bathroom wafting down the hall. It's just service. Can't count the times I've come through the door and someone in the nursery forgot to dump the diaper pail. And we're like telling the kids, run in there, get that bag and get that out to the dumpster quick. And they're like, okay. (laughs) Just service. It's just service. But Jesus said, 
If you're going to be great in the kingdom, you have to understand service. Well, I just wanted to, sub- to submit to you this morning that if you look at the life of Jesus, the discovery in the life of Jesus, the discovery of who God had sent him to be and what God had sent him to do, that discovery came to his life through service. Really, two things, communion with the Father and service. You can't discover purpose without communion with the Father, and you won't discover purpose without service to one another. To one another. It's interesting to me, the individuals in in this life who believe that, that they are fulfilling the purposes of God as they sit in their chair with their Bible open on their lap, and they never fellowship in the body of Christ and serve among other believers. You cannot be isolated from the body of Christ and fulfill the kingdom purpose for your life. You cannot. You will not. It'll never happen. The reason I can tell you with all confidence that it'll never happen is because that's what I learned from the Word of God. Purpose that is designed for your life comes as you are joints that supply one another, as you begin to love one another and care about one another and serve one another and find places of service within the life of the body of Christ to connect yourself to so that the Spirit of God can flow through you and you can have some discoveries about what you're good at and what you love and what you don't like and what you don't enjoy. All of that is connected to the discovery of uh, of purpose and it all comes through service. So Jesus said, it's not to be so among you. You're not given authority to lord it over someone. You're given authority to serve. To serve. If you were in my house, because we are, as a family, we've always discussed the fact that we're ministers as a family. I would have never done this alone. And every time... We've hit those seasons of difficulty in ministry experience. We have this great discussion. Ministry service comes with territory. Difficult things come along. We're here to serve. We're just here to serve. When, when Bishop Halverson left and my, my children were really young and, and the young ones were, were not raised in church, you know, before they came to us. And so this is all new to them. And where's Pastor Roger? And how come dad's preaching all the time? And, and what has changed? And, and does this mean dad owns the church? <laughs> well, in the mind of a child, it would seem so. No, this doesn't mean dad owns the church. This means dad serves the church. We're all here to serve. That's why I always tell you, don't tell anyone you go to Anthony's church. Tell them you go to your church. This is your church. I just happen to be the guy who God said, go serve. Lead that people in service to one another. Example, service. And then, uh, let's see. Let me finish that thought there. He said, if anyone is great among you, let him serve Whosoever desires to be first among you, I love this, let him be your slave. Oh, I'm against slavery. Jesus wasn't. 
certainly in this context, that we would literally see ourselves as slaves of one another. I have something you need. I could, I could do something for you to help you. Then I need to do it. Go ahead. And your thinking needs to be, when you look at someone around you, there's something I could do to help you along the way? Let me help you. And when these leaders say there's areas of ministry and areas of service that need to be, uh, that need to be addressed and, uh, and that there's holes sitting where, where someone needs to be serving, that you need to be saying, let me help. You will discover your purpose. Who is the one in, in the New Testament? Help me with your, your uh, theological wisdom in the New Testament who served as a deacon and then became the preacher of the word, the evangelist. Stephen, Stephen. Yes, thank you. Stephen was waiting tables, taking care of widows, doing service, and became evangelist Stephen. The anointing came up on him for evangelism during his service. Not during some laying on of hands. Ooh, I, I'm, I'm saying you're no longer a deacon. I'm saying you're now an evangelist. Ooh, no, 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 no. Excuse me, dear. Uh, there's some food here, and I know that your family is struggling. Can I get it over to you this week? That's what Stephen was doing. When the spirit of the evangelist arose in his life. Oh, can I get the broom and sweep off the doorway of the church? The, 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 the wind is blown, the leaves up there. It was during service to the body of Christ that he was anointed for the larger purpose of his life. It's during service. So Jesus says, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Now I want to talk to you about that statement, if I can, because Jesus said the Son of Man didn't come to serve, but to be served, to give his life. Now just put a dot, dot, dot. The, the, the end of that statement was how he was called to give his life. Jesus was called to give his life a ransom for many, a, a sinless sacrifice for the, the, the shedding of the blood, the remission of sin. Jesus was called to give his life in that fashion. But we were all called to give our life. And we can all say that we were called of God not to be served, but to serve and to give our life and fill in the blank. I'm going to tell you something that I have discovered in all simplicity. And it is not particularly enjoyable. Now, I've already told you that throughout my life, and uh, my wife and I, there is this strand of caring for the flock and preaching the word and taking care of, uh, of kingdom issues. That is, that is the prevailing purpose of our life. 
Did you know that that purpose is being fulfilled when I am sitting at the table helping my young children learn math? Helping them to come to a place that they can be successful and fruitful in life as believers. Math is not teaching them much about Jesus. But it is going to be a shame if they are adults and they can't function as contributing members of society when they've grown up in the house of a believer. So I am responsible to disciple them to know God and to help prepare them for service in life. So I have yet to have this great anointing fall on me while I was doing that. In fact, great frustration has fallen upon me while I was doing that. At times. But it is just as much valid invest kingdom investment when you embrace the seasons of your life that God gave you that are not fun particularly. But the Bible says that Jesus endured the cross, despising the shame for the joy that was set before him. He had his eyes on the fruit. I submit to you parents that when you pick up your children today, you really ought to hug a teacher. Because they're out there not because they particularly enjoy not being in the service and not receiving the anointing of our moments together and not hearing uh, and having to hear the word over a podcast. They're out there investing because of the joy that is set before them about what might happen in the life of a child that they would invest in. Just simply serving. Not particularly because they feel called to it, but because whatever their hand finds to do, they've determined to do it with all of their might. We ought to get a big old banner that says, hug a teacher. (laughs) My wife is teaching. I hugged a teacher. And I'm so thankful that we have enough teachers teaching now that she's able to be in here with me the majority of the time. Because I need her to tell me to land the plane. John chapter 13. This is the story. I'm not going to read all of it. It starts in verse 1. goes all the way down through verse 17 where Jesus determines that he's going to wash the feet of his disciples. And I've been to foot washings and I've washed people's feet. When Rocky was dying and I went over to pray for him, uh, the Lord told me to wash his feet. I thought I'd lost my mind. When I was on the mission field, I was ministering in a pastor's home and, and I was sitting and we were getting ready to have a gathering of, of his church leaders and, and have a time of, of meeting and all of a sudden I heard the Holy Spirit speak to me and I went and told his wife to find me a washtub. I was going to wash his feet. That'll freak people out when you go to washing their feet. Because they just get just like these disciples did. Who? Me? But this is the, the reason that Jesus did this. Verse 13 of John chapter 13 says, You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, Well, I am that. If then I'm your Lord 
and your teacher, and I have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Now, we're not going to start a big old doctrine and start saying that every time we come together, we ought to have a foot washing, although it probably wouldn't hurt us now and then to do that because it's a humbling experience. It's humbling to wash someone's feet, and it's humbling to allow someone to do so. It does not fit with popular thinking in our culture. But what Jesus was saying was, if I'm your teacher, and if I'm your leader, and I will serve you at this level... You ought to serve one another at this level. The culture that they were in, they wore sandals and walked in the dirt. And when they came into someone's house, it was appropriate and it it was culturally acceptable for the householder to wash the feet of visitors. And so Jesus said, it was not, it was not culturally acceptable for a rabbi to wash the feet of followers. Because they were in a culture where people with authority lorded their authority over the people they were leading. But he says to us, if I'll serve you at this level, you ought to be serving one another at this level. So we, we are the kind of people, as believers, that we ought to be looking around at each other and at the, ser- the, the service areas of ministry within the house that, that we are planted in, and we ought to find a place to serve, and we ought to not be moved when it is a place of simplicity or when it is a place that is not so widely accepted as an exciting place to serve. Oh, you guys ought to shout. Give me some Pentecostal shout here because this is good preaching whether you you know that or not. Everyone who's leading a department right now is secretly going, you tell them, pastor! Because they've got places they're trying to fill with people who were willing servants. (laughs) There you go, Cindy. Listen to what Jesus says. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than the one who sent them. In other words, I'm sending you, you're not greater than me, and I'm washing your feet. So the Lord says to us, you as my followers, as the sent out ones, are not greater than the one who has sent you. Follow his example. I submit to you that you discover purpose through service, just like Jesus did. If that's our biblical pattern, then that's the pattern we follow. If that's our biblical pattern, then that's the pattern that we are to follow. So listen to what he says. You are sent... You're not greater than the one who sent you. And he's kneeling down now here, washing your feet. If you know these things, blessed you are if you do them. I challenge you that the Spirit of God is speaking to us about the issue of purpose so that we will discover that we are not to be observers in the kingdom of God. We are to be participants. 
Now, if you knew what I know in terms of what I believe God is saying to us about where we go as a church and about where God is leading us in the future and about what I actually see you doing, service prepares you for the future. Serving prepares you for the future. And, uh, and so this willing heart to do whatever God puts in front of us to do. Um, Benjamin actually posted something on, online yesterday and, and sent it to me for another purpose, and, uh, for another reason, and, and I told him I was going to refer to it today. The author or the, the person who said this is unknown, so I can't quote uh, them uh, or give them credit for having said this, but I believe they heard from God. If service is beneath you, then leadership is beyond you. I wish I'd have said that. If service is beneath you, then leadership is beyond you. If we will not serve, we are not qualified to lead. So I expand that thought for you this morning. Not all who serve are qualified to lead. Not everyone who serves is qualified to be a leader. Not everyone who serves is, is called to be a leader of a group of people or an area of ministry or whatever. Not everyone's called to do that. You discover that you're not called to do that by trying to do that sometimes. Not all who serve are qualified to lead, but no one is qualified to lead who does not possess the willingness to serve. All leaders, listen, those of you who are leading, all leaders in this ministry are servants of the people that they are leading. You are called to serve one another. When someone walks through that door that we've never met before, I want our thinking to be, God has given us today to serve this individual. We may only have today, but God has given us today to serve them. We want to make them feel welcome. We want them to be comfortable. We want them to have what they need. We want them to have understanding about the life of this house. We want them to feel like they are apart from the moment they walk through the door. We're not going to be suspicious of them. We're not going to be put off by them, no matter how strange they are. Because they're probably going to marry someone we're related to and become family. Ain't that the truth? Y'all have some in-laws and outlaws and all their but. God has called us to serve. And in order for us to fulfill our purpose of the kingdom of God as a house and as individuals, we must embrace the challenge of service that Jesus exampled in his life. We must say, I'm willing to serve. I'm willing to serve.